Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. So, Annie, I have a few questions for you. Just two, actually. And I a have few. a feeling I already know. <laughs> yes. We so, know each other very well. Yeah. But sometimes there's like, surprises in there. Yeah, I will say that. Yes, that's true. But have you ever been in a musical? I... Oh my gosh, I have. Oh, and, really? <laughs> yes, and it was a Cinderella-based musical. Okay, what was this? What part did you play? I was in high school, and it's funny because I actually auditioned for this role because I didn't want to go to band practice that day. That's the only reason I went. So I was very unprepared, and it's one of the worst auditions I did in my entire life, and I shudder to think of it. But I auditioned for the role of Brunhilde, who was one of the stepsisters. Mm-hmm. I did not get it. Aww. But I got like random ball goer that was like all judgmental. Yes, yes. <laughs> but dancing there. in the background. <laughs> yeah, but it was a musical. I don't remember any of the songs. <laughs> <laughs> well, then second question, and I do know this. Do you have a favorite musical that you go back to and love? <sighs> As you know... Musicals make me a little nervous. People spontaneously singing makes me nervous, which is why I think one of the reasons I love Hamilton because it's singing all throughout. Mm-hmm. And there's not like really talking, so it's just music. It's the switch from talking to singing that gets me. Really? <laughs> okay, that yes. I didn't know about you. I don't I don't quite understand that, but okay, okay, okay. It doesn't feel like it's automatically too cheesy. No, it, it's really funny because Eve's of uh, Female First and our friend of ours um <laughs> She was talking about her love of musicals and the love that you two share. And she said something like she doesn't like superhero movies because she can't suspend her disbelief. I feel like I can't suspend my disbelief when people just start singing. And that's fair. I think it's definitely, you're not the only one. And I, I think she had a back and forth about not sure if she loved musicals or not. She Because we also talked uh, about what we are talking about today, which is Cinderella. And the, yes. it's the Brandy edition. So the 1997 Cinderella made-for-TV movie during the wonderful world of Disney presentations that happened on Sunday nights. And and I was very excited. The minute it was advertised that it would be coming out and streaming through Disney Plus, I automatically was like, holy crap. Yes. Here we go. So just so you know, it is a throwback, obviously, 1997. It's been 24 years. And wow. they had this whole like get together reunion for the cast when it was the 20 year anniversary. And of course, it did not have Whitney Houston, but it was such a fantastic read when I was going back to research this movie just a little bit. So, yes, it is a very much of a throwback. And I have been a lifelong fan of Brandy. I believe I made you listen to Brandy because you didn't know any of her songs and I was very upset. <laughs> and I made yes. you listen to it at the beach house. And of yes. course, I sang all throughout the Beach House. By the way, Moesha, <laughs> which is where her career kind of started, was her show, her sitcom. And it was coming around the same time as uh, Family Matters was coming through. So it was kind of having this uprise of seeing Black families as a part of the community, especially in the sitcom community. And her show, one of my favorites, and I watched it all the time, definitely had her cassette tape, the Brandy cassette tape, and listened to it all the freaking time. She really was one of my favorites. <laughs> but yeah, today we're talking about the 90s classic remake of Rodgers and Hammerstein, uh, Cinderella, 
starring Brandy as the titular role of Cinderella and also starring Whitney Houston as the fairy godmother, as well as the fact that this is actually her one of her productions. Mm-hmm. And yes, I was like, hey, Annie, you know how we said that we were going to do this one movie? Nope. We're changing it completely, and we're going to do this movie for our Feminist Movie Friday. And yeah, there's a lot to be said in conversation. Of course, I feel like everybody knows the plot. We are going to talk a little bit about it, but uh, yeah, I think it's pretty (laughs) well-renowned. I think so. We've talked about it. Uh, I mean, our, one of our book up picks was a different take yes. on Cinderella. So even yes. us in this show have talked about it more than once. There's definitely a lot of renditions, and we are going to talk about that as well. But I think I, lo- I just loved everything about this musical. And I am a diehard fan of musicals. I yes. grew up uh, loving and appreciating it because I was in chorus mm-hmm. and I, I did sing a lot as a kid. It was one of my favorite things to do. My family is very musical. And though we don't go out breaking out in song... <laughs> to talk about our emotions. I wish we did. I've actually made that comment to most of my cynical friends and they're like, Samantha, that's dumb. Stop it. Uh, that I wish I could just break out in song when I'm sad or happy or whatever. And I do. I feel like I've seen you do this. <laughs> I, as I do, as as people I think I've already heard on our show, I do come up with some singing unless our producers edit it out because they're like, Samantha, this is ridiculous. But yeah, <laughs> I do love the whole thing. My, my favorite actual musical is Les Mis. It's always been one of my favorites. And I think I loved it because the first rendition of Lima's that I saw the character of Eponine, who actually was a woman of Asian descent playing this character. And I've never seen, I don't think I've ever seen that. And up until like my high school, middle school years, I've seen this rendition. I think it was a PBS rendition of this uh, musical. And it was so fantastic. It got me in the gut and I loved it. So Lima's has always been one of my faves. I actually read that mm-hmm. in middle school. Great book too. But like everything about musicals, it just gets me. I love it. I love music that makes me want to dance. I love music that makes me want to move. I love music that makes me feel things. Like I appreciate Taylor Swift. She gets me in the gut. Uh, (laughs) I really wish I was a teenager (laughs) listening to this once again. Uh But I do love, there was a skit. I don't know if you uh, watched it, the SNL skit with uh, Driver's License, which is Olivia Rodrigo uh, and her song. And they're like, it just gets me. Her words are so, like I loved it because I feel like it's so honest. I don't know if men do that, but I'm like, <laughs> I had those moments as an adult being like, oh, she's got all the feels. This is about a 16-year-old. I am definitely old enough to be her mother. Like, it's <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> but that's, that's what I love about musicals. And I love seeing choreography. I love seeing dance. I was really excited about what this represented as well. But yes, as you can tell, I am a huge fan of this movie. And we're getting started right now. Yes, and also just to note, podcast on our network, the Beckdale cast covered this. I I was so because like we talked about doing it, and then they came out with theirs. I was like, "Son of a, okay." (laughs) (laughs) They beat us to the punch. They beat us to the punch. (laughs) Uh, Well, we'll probably have a slightly different take. You know, Uh, we will have a very different take. I guarantee. Okay, well, there you go. So, yes, let's discuss this film more in depth, which I just watched last night for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so it's fresh on my mind. We are talking about the Broadway musical version of Rogers and Hammerstein Cinderella, created for network TV, starring, yes, the amazing Whitney Houston as the fairy godmother and Brandy as the role of Cinderella. It's funny because looking back, my family only had the one TV, and mm-hmm. I remember the commercials for this, and I was vetoed. But I remember being like, oh, oh you thing, I want to watch it. 
it, I was, man, this should have not been something that I enjoyed as much as I did because I was 17 when this came out. <laughs> but I loved it. Hey. Can't help fun. it. I am who I am. You are who you are. So the original TV version was portrayed by Julie Andrews, um, which aired in 1957, and again by Leslie Ann Warren, which was successful and ran annually from 1965 to 1972 on CBS. It was so successful. They had over 70 million viewers. And so they kept replaying that. Wow. Uh-huh. And it was a huge success. Uh, the actual movie, the one we're talking about today, the 1997 classic, was uh, aired in November 1997, but actually it was in talks to be created and uh, filmed as early as 1992 with the original idea that Whitney Houston would play the main character of Cinderella. But due to a different setbacks, it never came to fruition. And when it finally did come together, things in part to the Walt Disney Company's desire to relaunch the wonderful world of Disney anthology, which included live-action movies like Peter Pan, as well as the old-school Cinderella, which would be aired over CBS or, you know, one of the main networks. Mm -hmm. Randy was brought on to play the iconic role, thanks to Whitney Houston herself, who actually gave her a call, a personal call. Wow. To <laughs> ask her to be Cinderella. And, of course, she agreed... Uh, Brandy agreed, very excited. Her little interview about getting that call was really precious. Also, at that point in time, it was discussed that Whitney would play the fairy godmother since she had aged out of the role of Cinderella. Also, the movie included the wonderful Whoopi Goldberg, and her comedic timing is so fun. I just love it. I think this is where she... I'm trying to remember if she got her primetime Emmy, which is how she got her EGOT. Oh, yes. Oh, she, yeah. Yes, yes. She portrayed Queen Constantina, Victor Garber, who is a big Broadway uh, player, as well as I see him on different things now, played King Maximilian, uh, Bernadette Peters, another big Broadway star, plays the evil stepmother, and then Paolo Montalban as Prince Christopher, and of course, Jason Alexander of Seinfeld as the valet Lionel. Yeah, that was a big surprise for me because you, I think you told me about everybody else. I thought I told just, you that it was him. Oh, well, if you did, it did not register because I laughed so hard. And I was just like, what? Like he apparently <laughs> jumped at the chance. He was one of the first ones to sign on because he was so uh, excited to do a musical because that's kind mm -hmm. of one of his backgrounds. But he had been a part of the Seinfeld world, which he was, right. you know, garnering so much fame. But also mm -hmm. it made me excited to see him in this role because I had seen him previously in Pretty Woman and he's such an awful character. Yeah. That this kind of redeemed him from me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it's... I don't know the name of the actress, but the redheaded stepsister... Yeah. She was in Seinfeld, and her episode is kind of infamous to me because, like, the backstory behind it is really tragic. <laughs> um, and it was just something, like, writers were talking about, oh, women are thinking on different levels. How interesting. I think it was Ian Cox, who was Calliope. Yeah, she's uh, in an episode of Seinfeld, and I was just like, oh, yeah. I mean, this was, this was the year Seinfeld was ending, so I guess they were, uh, you know trying to find new things. She apparently was a ballet dancer, too. He was. He had, he had the moves. <laughs> no, 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 not him. Vianne Cox was oh. a ballet dancer, but <laughs> she sure. She also had the moves. <laughs> Everybody had good moves. I was impressed. You know what? Like, he definitely, Jason Alexander is definitely a man of many talents. 
<laughs> yes. That's <laughs> how you should introduce himself. Yeah, so Houston was also a co-producer alongside with producers of Gypsy, which had been a successful television adaption that aired in 1993, Craig Zidane and Neil Marin. And though at first there were some mixed reviews, one, because of the casting of Brandy and Whitney Houston, but two, also because of the more modern, slightly feminist edge of the movie, it clearly, since then, as I feel like so many movies we talk about on here, has gained... Right. A lot of love. Right. <laughs> but yeah, it was successful nonetheless, like you said, with one of the highest viewerships in decades. It had the highest Sunday night ratings and was one of the most watched musicals at that time. And apparently, the cost of production was $10 million, which is really, really high at that time. They were talking about how amazing the scenes were and how great the castle was. And they're like, oh, okay, we're shelling out the big bucks. This was how they said it. And it also did earn many nominations and awards, including seven primetime Emmys, Writers Guild of America, three NAACP Image Awards, and a few others. So, yeah, they were able to stand on their own. Yeah, absolutely. But now let's talk about the plot. But wait first. Let's pause for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Thank you, sponsor. So as we said, a lot of you are probably pretty familiar with the story of Cinderella. But for this specific version, we begin with a beautiful scene of the city market and all the townspeople are scurrying about. We see Cinderella, who is following after her stepmother and stepsisters, who are pretty much immediately annoying, as, <laughs> as they are in most tales. And here we are introduced to the charming prince, who is dressed as a peasant so he can wander the market freely without being accosted or bothered. And this is where the lovely couple have their meet cute. Yeah. <laughs> love, I'm already calling them a couple. We you know are. what's going to happen. It's, it's true. It's true. <laughs> this is where the meet cute between Cinderella and Prince Christopher takes place. Of course, in song, they're kind of singing separately, but the yeah. same thing. <laughs> yes. Yes, of course. That's how of you know course. they're supposed to be together. Clearly, they're singing the same song. <laughs> Cinderella, who is lost in her own imagination, is almost run down by this royal carriage, and she drops all of her stuff, and the prince comes to assist, saying, just like the royals, not caring if they're in anybody's way. And though they're kind of immediately awestruck with each other, like, just click. The chemistry yeah. is there. Cinderella is quickly taken away by her stepmother and told off for speaking to a stranger. All right, and also, here's where we see a little bit of variation in which she doesn't want to be a princess. She just wants to be treated like an equal, like a human. Right. And she talks to him about that. And he, of course, says the popular line that we hear from everywhere, you're not like other girls, are you? <laughs> yes. Well, I love, I love she was like, I just want to be treated with respect like a human. And he's like, oh, that's not like other girls. <laughs> most of them don't want that. <laughs> well, most of them wants to be a princess. I think most of them won't say it, perhaps, but yes. <laughs> well, from there, we see the struggles of the different lives of both Cinderella, who has dreams of adventure and having a loving relationship away from her truly awful stepfamily, and the prince, who wants a normal life where he can fall in love and not be forced to be married. It's pretty funny. Um, and here we meet the king and queen and Lionel, Prince Christopher's valet. Yes, again, played by Jason Alexander, who, by the way, again, was in the middle of his Seinfeld gig. And yes, we also get to see his fantastic dance sequence, comedy dance musical sequence uh, during this time. Yes, it is wonderful. And his accent. Oh his my His accent, which uh, they did attribute to a specific 
movie. I can't remember what it was, but I feel like it's one of those mini accents like we hear from Wanda, from, you know, uh, MCU oh, character. Yeah. He's like, what is happening? And Princess Leia's first accent, you're like, what is happening? They're trying to create their own. (laughs) (laughs) But he does the same thing. And yes, we find out that the queen, Whoopi, is planning a ball for Prince Christopher so he can find a bride and then sends Lionel out to not only get all of the things for this giant ball, which one of my favorite scenes is him with the fake cake. Yeah, that was pretty good. I was like, what? Uh, And he goes out to invite all the women of the village for possible candidates to be his bride. Not Lionel's, but Prince Christopher's. Yeah, I was pretty impressed when people, yeah. when the, a stepmother was hitting on him, he was like, nah, <laughs> no <was> thanks. Worried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as he should be. Um, so then we see Cinderella, who has these dreams of adventure and leaving her corner, in my own little corner is the song. And it. she requests to go to the ball, which is met with scoffing, outright no, from her stepmother. So from there, we see the stepsisters and stepmother leaving. But who arrives but the beautiful fairy godmother, Whitney Houston, in like this swirly yes. gold. Like I had those things in the 90s. Right. The, like for hair. Yes. Like that was a popular I shape. I think I still have some somewhere. I think I found it. I think it. I do too. I was like, what is this? And it always falls off. The little stars all fall off. Yes. And yes. leave a trail like glitter. Oh. <laughs> yes. So she arrives in that kind of swirl to grant Cinderella's wish of going to the ball. And this is where we see the classic part of the fairy tale of mice turning into coachmen, a pumpkin turned into a carriage, and a duet that will be forever iconic, according to Samantha. Yes. <laughs> the song Impossible by Whitney Houston and Brandy. And also, yeah, the glittery floating presence of Whitney Houston, as she should be remembered, and the dress, of course, shoes. The song is impossible slash it's possible, obviously, where it comes from. Oh, wow, look at me. Which, yeah, the reason I say it's iconic, the minute I thought about this movie, that's the first song that popped into my head. And I was like, mm-hmm. what? Impossible. Like, that's just like, <laughs> yes, there it is. It's so cheesy. I love it. I love cheesy movies, y'all. So at the ball with the beautiful blues and purples and wonderful dance sequence, we get to see the prince being passed around as the women try to vie for his attention to become his bride. but. Cinderella then makes her entrance and the entire crowd stops as Prince Christopher makes his way to her. Everyone is enamored, but alas, midnight comes around and Cinderella runs away after a wonderful duet of, do I love you because you're beautiful? Yeah, you know. But of course, losing one of her slippers as she leaves. I feel like this was one of the parts of the movie and it's in every version of this fairy tale pretty much but I was like this is a terrible way to meet someone this sound is exhausting you're just dancing with somebody for like 10 seconds yeah I'm not gonna lie though that sequence lasted a lot longer than I remembered I was uh, I played this as I was writing this up and I waited for this scene and I was like this scene is lasting a whole lot longer than I remembered because it's not a really long movie in itself. So I was like, wow, this is okay, okay. And of course, we also see that the queen and king dance with her and talk to her about her family and her. she's all kind of like, oh my gosh. And then we see the step family going, she looks familiar. Who is that? Oh my goodness. You know, whispering in the background, trying to figure out who she is, which is of course, part of every single one of the movies. No one can recognize this woman who I feel like is fairly recognizable. Yeah. She just so. had dirt on her face, and the, which is, the, of course, the meaning of her name, Cinderella. Cinderella. Right. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, I was like, I feel like this is what... Of all the things, I don't believe that's the one. 
Yeah, <laughs> it's the Superman syndrome, right? But yes. I did, I did appreciate. I, I was just watching this like this is a dare way to meet somebody, <laughs> and then I love that when Brandy just runs away from Whoopi Goldberg, <laughs> and she's like, huh, "All right, I like her. <laughs> I'd have questions, but all right." You know, her, <laughs> she's just really excited that maybe the prince is about to marry yeah. House and Babis. It's true. That's what she wanted. After That's all, all she wanted. Yes, but problem. The prince is, you know, trying to find his his lost love and taking this shoe around and testing it on all the women of the land. This is another part that was funny. Like, it is a fairy tale. So, like, and even as we discussed with rom-coms, there's just the fantastical element to it. But I'm like, I feel like there are certain people you could just say it wasn't her. But sure, fairness. All right. So, we find the stepsisters and even the stepmother trying to trick the prince by trying to fit their feet into this glass slipper. But as Cinderella is trying to leave, not knowing the prince is there, he discovers her. And yes, the shoe fits. And they get married and live happily ever after. So we're led to believe. Yeah. So I do love, there's a couple of commentary in this. One, uh, she's leaving and he makes that same statement because she almost gets ran over by another carriage. And he's like, it's like, those are the royals. They don't care. He realizes he knows her. And then also, I also love the fact that people are like, I feel like, there's probably more than one person with her shoe size. Yeah. So I don't know if that's the best way to gauge <laughs> if this is the same person. <laughs> Just saying. So I do yeah. love that's also the conversation. And then me, my COVID mind, I was like, there's so many germs. I don't want to wear someone else's gross shoes. Especially that's glass slippers. Can you imagine how sweaty your feet would be in them? Oh, gosh, that is true. I have pretty sweaty feet. TMI. I feel like anybody would in glass slippers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, even if you're wearing hose, that's even worse, I think. All I can think is I can't imagine... I mean, the shoes got to be pretty sturdy. And I, I say it all the time. I am very clumsy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm clumsy. That shoe's going to break. There's going to be glass in my foot. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, she fell a lot in that movie. At least twice. She did. She did. <laughs> I mean, they're magic shoes. They can probably withstand more than I'm giving them credit for. And yeah, that's fair. And also, Whitney Houston created them and and I feel like she knows the power of a good shoe. Oh, absolutely. And I I bet she had a little role in like it didn't fit anybody, but Maybe, maybe, maybe. Like it has like a lock on it. changed a little. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think so. We've we've created a rationale behind it. I like it. Yes, we have made this make sense. We did want to talk about some themes now that we covered the plot. But first, we're going to pause for one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Right. So there's several themes in any fairy tale, but what we did want to focus on were these few, which includes diversity, which is one of the first things that we had talked about. I think you and I, when we were talking about how amazing this movie was and how diverse it was and why it was so important to me as a person of color growing up in an all-white community to see this representation. And this this was the first rendition of the specific telling of the fairy tale. And with Brandy and Whitney taking the lead roles, they became the first African-American actresses to play these iconic 
iconic characters, including the fact that Brandy was the first Black actress and first person of color to portray this lead character, as in fact, it was something that was important for Whitney, as she had stated that she wanted something for her daughter, who apparently came on the set a lot, as well as a lot of the other kids, like actors' kids, would come onto the sets. She wanted her daughter to see that this character was represented by someone that looked like her, and the importance of seeing someone like her as the main character, as the actual princess. Right. And it wasn't just that. Uh, Having an Asian male actor playing the main male lead was very new and unheard of. Though other actors were considered like Tay Diggs, the beautiful Tay Diggs. Paolo Montalban won out in the end. Right. He was in several other musicals at that time as well, apparently, including being the understudy for The King and I. Oh. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Which is a really sad musical. Yes. Okay, keep going. Yes. (laughs) The diversity within the entire cast was something pretty new. And though it was noticeable, it wasn't a feature or even something that overtook the film. And in that way, it delighted the audience. Unlike many films today, there wasn't a question of how it's possible that Whoopi and Victor would be able to have Paolo as their son or Bernadette had a young Black woman and a young white redhead for her children. That's just how it was. (laughs) It just was. It was really interesting, too, because I was reading a 1997 article from the LA Times about it. And of course, they address it. But they just kind of, again, smooth over it and just like, it's a a fun musical. We'll see. Hopefully, this gamble, as they put it, will pan out. So Mm -hmm. definitely was that conversation of whether or not, is it a risk? Or is it something that should be happening more often? As in fact, uh, Whoopi stated in Jet Magazine at that time, when she was explaining why the diverse casting made perfect sense, she said, quote, Before, it was either all black or all white, but never a normal mix of people. This integrated cast is how the real world is. This is more normal than being a part of a cast that doesn't have any color in it. So I think it's really important that that's what it was made for, the idea of what a fairy tale is to me. Like you see a growth of a community and in this inexplicable way of being in life. Like, no one sings, no one dances in the middle of the street. <laughs> I'm really sad about this. Uh, <laughs> there's no balls, really. You know, all of these things. And the community doesn't come together, you know, to throw a ball, to get married <laughs> off. That I've seen. Maybe I'm just missing out on some things. But yeah, it's the fantasy. And this fantasy includes this diverse cast that makes other children feel seen. And I think it was so important. And I think that's, again, I wasn't a child. I was 17. But it mm-hmm. was so new for me growing yeah. up in a culture that didn't see me as a leading character or even a part of the bigger story. And again, there's no Asian female actors in this. So, but just having the representation of having a woman of color. Mm-hmm. was interesting to have an Asian man being seen as a prince, as something wanted, as a whole new conversation. So yeah, definitely had a bigger conversation in that that's what it represented, is the full fantasy of being included. Yeah, um, and we did want to talk about feminism here. And I know that's, we. I think we've done other episodes specifically on feminism of princesses, and that is a topic Mm -hmm. And fairy tales that comes up a lot in conversations of like anxiety around that and like what messages are we sending to children with these things. So there is absolutely the the romantic fairy tale element of this with the prince coming to sweep Cinderella off her feet 
And that just all pressing concern of being married off and having children, that's very present throughout. This rendition, though, was a little more feisty than the others. They tried to do less of a damsel in distress thing and more of an independent character who stayed in a real toxic, harmful, familial relationship for the sake of her deceased father rather than just wanting to be rescued. In fact, a couple of differences were that she didn't need to be saved because she was about to leave on her own accord at the end. And she wasn't asking to be a princess, but a woman, as we said, who has her own mind and is cared for like a person, a human. Right. Is that too much? (laughs) It wasn't a massive change or overhaul, but it still got noticed (laughs) by someone. Yeah. I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen the original Disney version. But I just noticed like with the scene when she's in her corner and she's talking about all the adventures she wants to have, that felt very different. Like I knew in the... A lot of the takes on this, she wants to get away, but it's, yeah, see, more is like she's just trapped there and can't get away. <laughs> right. So, and I think that's the other part is like she stayed out of loyalty and a promise she makes to her father. So, and which I believe is a part of the original fairy tale. I think so, I think, yeah. Uh, which, you know, we don't see that in Disney. We see the Disney version, which they, which this is one Disney version, but the Disney cartoon movie version, Mm -hmm. which she sings about Someday Her Prince Will Come, which is a whole different conversation. She's not looking necessarily for a prince to come. She wants her own adventures. And when the ball comes about, she imagines meeting the prince. But that's a whole Mm -hmm. different conversation. But yeah, it's still got uh, some uh, people not happy about this rendition, (laughs) which was still, again, I was like, it wasn't that big. No. (laughs) (laughs) But people still want to be angry. And yes, uh, of course, the movie does seek to have a happy ending with marriage and royalty, but that wasn't her goal. Yes, the tropes are very much still there. It is a bit of a different take, which again, we talked about the fact that some did not like it. And when it came to the theme of being rescued versus being happy and loved, you know, that was a little bit of a change, which I I appreciated. I think I liked that because we don't necessarily want to be rescued, yo. We can rescue ourselves. How about that? How about that? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Just treat us like humans with respect. (laughs) You're you're a different type of girl, huh? You're not like other girls. (laughs) That was so funny. And we couldn't talk about a romantic musical without the themes of love. That is the whole goal for the prince to either find love or be happy single and not be pushed into anything just for the sake of duty. In fact, that was like his, his, his... compromise with his mom was, I will do this one more ball, but then I'm doing it my own way if I don't find somebody I like. Right. It seems fair. Yeah, it seems super fair. Yeah. And I do love, again, the queen whoopies. A queen, I'm going to call it queen whoopie. Uh, just, ah, ah, ah. I love yes. reactions, which is, uh, by the way, this was after Sister Act was already filmed and she had gotten, because I don't think anybody knew how talented she was when it came to like singing and dancing and all of that. Right. So like she did it. Um, oh, also Sister Act is another one of my favorite movies and we might have to do that too. <laughs> Both of them. <laughs> Both of them. Okay. Just so you know. So, uh, and of course, she's not a theme, but I have to talk a little bit about Whitney Houston because her presence, she made this film. She made this film as in like she created it, A, B, her presence, her songs, her voice, it was a whole different level. When We know that when it comes to Whitney Houston and her abilities and her talent, it exceeds. It just goes beyond. And it was even during this time, I think there was a lot of people watching her very closely. She was becoming famous, but she was slowly getting caught up in some of the controversies that we've known of her. But obviously, her love for her daughter really comes through with what she wanted this film to be. 
And I mm-hmm. think that's something that's so important that we have to to acknowledge that this was not just about making something fun and making something to be successful. It was something that she wanted to leave back for her child and to have this type of legacy for young Black girls everywhere. And she, kind of like when we talk about, you know, female first, she didn't see it, so she created it. That wasn't there Mm -hmm. for her, so she created it. And I think that's something glorious that it needs to be said. Of course, not everyone has the talent of Whitney Houston and Brandy. So it was a little harder to be like, I can be that person. Uh, Sure. (laughs) But I think that's something that we need to definitely acknowledge that this movie is bigger than just being a fun little fairy tale. It does leave a legacy for many who have not seen themselves represented in any type of tale that has a happy ending. And that's what this kind of was, taking something that many take for granted Mm -hmm. and making it new. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to put that there. Yeah, yeah. It was a really refreshing take because we do know that story. And we're not going to get into this too much today because we've talked about them before. But there are the the tropes, like fairy tale tropes in there of the evil stepmother who seems money hungry or status hungry. The queen who is desperate to find a bride for her son so she can have a grandchildren, <laughs> grandchildren, who's also a bit over the top and nagging. And then the father, who seems dismissive, tunes out his wife and also makes kind of a questionable comment about wanting to be with Brandy at one point. <laughs> I was like, that's, I don't know if you should have said that. And Whoopi definitely shut it down. But I'm still like, wow. <laughs> There's that. Great. Well, that's out there. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's definitely part of the thing is like, I think people are rebranding fairy tales, which is beautiful, but the original intents definitely have a lot of like, yeah, what? So, yeah. Yeah. Those sound effects are probably really annoying. (laughs) Sorry. Well, you're welcome, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so... It was a fun one. I so, uh, Yeah, that was what... Okay, I need to know. Since you <laughs> did not know... Of course, you knew what kind of it to expect, but I think I'd been hyping yeah. it up a lot you, about yes. how excited I was. You what were... were your thoughts? What's your review for this movie? Uh, <laughs> I thought it was really good. It was one of those things where I was like, you know, this isn't something I would normally watch. Right. But I felt like everyone... For a project like that, it would have been really easy to kind of be making fun of it almost with your performance. But I feel like everyone was like really there with their whole heart and having fun. And so I thought all the performances were really good. And it was funny. And (laughs) I just remember kind of watching it. Again, this isn't like something I would normally watch. But for for a moment, I was like, oh, I can see why people love this. Because it feels really light. Like kind of just this like, I'm in a, a nice light state of being kind of happy and feeling kind of goofy. Right. (laughs) Like, even the villains are not serious villains. Yeah. And everyone looked like they were having fun, which I really, yeah, I appreciated. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. I like the word. I appreciated it. It's true, though. (laughs) It, It absolutely is a thing that I feel like some of my favorite movies, one of the things I love about them is the actors did embrace the role so much and leaned into it so much and had so much fun with it. Right. And I think they did talk about the fact that uh, when Whoopi 
was signed on. They originally wanted her to play a different character, but because she was so busy, like she was like, uh, come back to me, come back to me, come back to me. And so they finally were able to loop her in. Um, kind of the same thing with Whitney Houston. Like she plays Godmother, but she's not fully, she didn't have to be there all the time because her mm-hmm. schedule was, you know, jam-packed. So it was kind of perfect for her scheduling. But yeah, I, again, these are, this is my childhood, what I remember. And this is something that allowed me to see beyond my white uh, circle because mm-hmm. as an adopted child in the mountains of Georgia, it's a whole <laughs> different conversation. Again, I think I've talked about the fact that I've had many encounters with my own family with trying to figure out <laughs> where I fit in in a family who is disapproving mm-hmm. of brown people for the most part. Not disapproving, but definitely very... Uh, prejudice towards brown people. And it's an internal, internalized prejudice that they would never say out loud except for they accidentally say some things out loud. And I remember uh, my love for Brandy by like just everything she did, including this movie. I think I was like 15, 14, 15 when she was coming about with her single, uh, with her all of her songs. And I got into a full-blown argument with my younger brother who is a little older than me, but he's the youngest of my two brothers, Mm -hmm. about her. That argument was my eye-opening moment of, oh, there's something wrong in my family here, uh, Mm -hmm. I think. And I remember having a conversation with my mom about what it would look like if I dated someone outside of of white people, which Mm -hmm. is hilarious. I'm not white, but that goes (laughs) over people's head a lot. That's what happens a lot when you're swept under the whole really erasure and title of model minority comes in, as well as the fact that there's this whole layer of saver complex. So, of course, she would not stray from what we have brought her to, essentially. That's the best way I can state that. But I think it's a whole big conversation where I I had to find my own identity because I had no one there to understood. Mm -hmm. And so, kind of like Brandy, kind of like (laughs) Cinderella, finding my own corner of what that meant and understanding race in a whole different level and pivoting towards my own understanding of who I was versus who my family was, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, again, I was 17, but it was during these times like Family Matters that was coming out, the Cosby show that was happening, you know, all as Fresh Prince of Bel-Air it was these big comedies that made me be able to see outside of my small community. So it was a definite interesting moment. And again, I also lived in a fantasy world. I lived in a world that really, I wanted something completely different. And musicals were that for me. Mm -hmm. I told you, like, I don't understand because I'm such a cynical individual. You would think that I'm so, like, over-the-top abrasive and just really, like, we talk about dead inside. And I was like, yeah, I've been known to be called soulless. Like, yeah, I have no soul type of conversation (laughs) Mm -hmm. because I do seem so straightforward. But I loved musicals growing up, of course. There were specific musicals, so I liked the more modern takes. I didn't love the Rodgers and Hammerstein versions back then, so Carousel, Oklahoma, hated those. Hated them mm-hmm. with a passion. Of course, they're all really tragic, and some of it had a lot of, like, abuse backstory. Uh, so I was like, uh-uh. But, like, I loved Singing in the Rain. was one of my f- all-time favorite movies. Anything with Sid Cherise, who is a white uh, woman who danced... I think she was in like uh, classical dance and ballet. Beautiful. I loved her. Fred Astaire watched his movies like nobody's business. So I definitely grew up in a, like my, my parents would laugh about the fact that I should have been born in the 40s, 50s, which I'm like, I wouldn't have fit in. Asian <laughs> people were not fitting in at that point, but okay. Oh. <laughs> but like there is this love of escapism 
that I, I really enjoyed. And this musical was able to be a musical that was more inclusive as where everything right. else was just white people being dancing and cute, you know? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I have a love. I have a love for musical. It's weird. Eve and I talked about it. I recommended one to her and I was like, please, please, please understand it. It's really sexist and it's yeah. really bad. But it's such yeah. a great musical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an, it's always a... A caveat, an interesting caveat, especially on this podcast, because I feel like we have to mention it. But <laughs> yeah, you can be like, oh, I love this thing, but yeah, pretty sexist. <laughs> yeah, it did not age well, just so you know. <laughs> well, we've talked before about how hugely important that is to see yourself represented, um, especially at younger ages, but all, all the time. And so this will, I think this will have... A legacy, and I'm so happy we got to watch it. And it made <laughs> you, you so for you were for me. so excited. I was so <laughs> I excited. Was. <laughs> no, it's awesome. It's awesome. We've talked before. Just seeing people get like pumped about things can yeah. bring you joy. So I'm glad. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to many uh, random bursting into song from you. Yeah, in the future. Yeah, that's gonna happen. I know it is. <laughs> So thank you so much, listeners, for checking this one out. Uh, As always, send recommendations for future movies or books or any other topics we should cover. You can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You or on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Our producer godmother over here. That's right. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I've Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 